today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. chapter of the book of Revelation tonight, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn there. Revelation chapter 19, which deals with the second coming of Christ and the battle of Armageddon. Revelation chapter 19, in verse 11, John said he saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. There is only one who is faithful and true, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that is riding on this white horse, and he is about to go forth and fight against the Antichrist and all of those nations which have gathered alongside him to come against Israel. And he's going to fight as he did in the day of battle. The first time Jesus came, he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. In ancient times, when one would come riding on a donkey... He carried a message of peace. Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, and his message was peace. Had Israel accepted Christ as the Messiah, then Rome would have crucified the Lord. He would have raised three days later, and Jesus would have then taken his position. The millennium could have started then. But because Israel rejected Christ as being the Messiah, it has subjected this world to an extended period of 2,000 years of war. And in ancient times, if a person came riding on the back of a horse, then the message was a message of war. And like I said, the first time Jesus came, he came riding on a donkey, and his message was peace. The second time he comes, he'll come riding on the back of a white horse, and he is coming back, and he'll fight like he did in the day of battle. Verse 12 of Revelation 19 says that his eyes were as a flame of fire. This speaks of judgment. And the Lord sees everything. He knows everything. Nothing gets by him. And any and everything in this world that is not of righteousness and holiness is going to be done away with. And 
the Bible says there in verse 12 that on his head were many crowns. There are two types of crowns mentioned in the New Testament. One is the victor's crown. The other is the crown of royalty. And the word crown is used in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When they tell the story of how the soldiers made a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head, the word crowns there means a victor's crown. When Christ came the first time, he wore a victor's crown. And when he died on Calvary's cross, he won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. It was a spiritual uh, victory that was won there. But what will be played out here at the Battle of Armageddon, he's already wearing a crown on his head before the battle even begins. There's going to be a physical victory that is won at the Battle of Armageddon, and Jesus is going to win that battle as well. Um, many crowns is what he is wearing. He's also wearing a crown of royalty because once this battle is won and the Antichrist is dealt with, the Lord's going to set up his kingdom to rule and reign for a thousand years. And we're going to look at that just a little bit later on. Verse 13 says that he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Now, some say that this refers to the Battle of Armageddon, and yes, it will be a bloody battle that takes place there, the Battle of Armageddon. But his vesture is dipped in blood even before the battle begins. So his vesture being dipped in blood speaks of the cross and the price that he paid on Calvary in the shedding of his blood for our salvation. And the shedding of his own precious blood at Calvary is what guarantees the victory um, that will be won here um, at the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 15 of Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Uh, this is the weapon that the Lord is going to use. If you will, go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Like I said, this is the weapon that the Lord will use at the battle of Armageddon. And whatever he speaks is going to happen instantly. Zechariah chapter 14 Move down, if you will, to verse 12. The Lord is just going to speak the word, and this is one of the things that will happen at the Battle of Armageddon. Zechariah 14, verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. The Lord's going to speak the word, and this is what will take place at the Battle of Armageddon. Go to Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel. 
chapter 38. And when you get over there to Ezekiel chapter 38, hold your finger there, because we're going to be referring back to it a little bit later. Ezekiel chapter 38, move down, if you will, to verse 22. This is speaking of the battle of Armageddon. Ezekiel 38, verse 22. And the Bible says, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. When the Lord came the first time, There was a storm that came upon the sea, and the disciples were doing all they could to keep the boat afloat, and they woke Jesus up. He had fell asleep in the back part of the ship and said, Lord, Lord, carest not that we perish? And the Lord said, Ye of little faith. And he stood up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and there was a calm, the Bible says. And the Lord has power over the elements. He had power over the elements the first time he came. The second time he comes, he will still have power over the elements. And like I said, whatever he says is going to take place. We're talking about the one that spoke this world into existence. Said, let there be light, and there was light. God can do anything. It was all created by the word of his mouth. And that's the weapon he's going to use at the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, Go to Ezekiel 38. Just flip over one page there in your Bible. Ezekiel uh, 39, I'm sorry, the next chapter. Ezekiel 39, and look at verse 2. And I will turn thee back and leave but the sixth part of thee. Five out of every six soldiers of the Antichrist is going to be killed at the Battle of Armageddon. All right, keep your place there in Ezekiel chapter 39 and go back to Revelation 19 and verse 17. Revelation 19, verse 17. John said, I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, understand something here. The sun is the brightest light that we know of in this physical world. I mean, the sun outshines whatever you put in front of it. You can light a candle in the dark and see it pretty good, but if you hold it up to the sun, you can't even tell that thing is lit. That's just how bright the sun is. And John was able to see this angel standing in the sun. Now, this angel has to be pretty bright in order for John to see him. It's hard for our minds to comprehend that. And we don't know if others on earth are going to be able to see this angel or not, but John, being in the spirit, was able to see this angel standing in the sun. And this angel cries with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 24. Still hold your place there in Revelation and Ezekiel 39. Uh, But go to Matthew chapter 24. 
uh, Jesus referred to this great supper of God. And speaking of the fowls of the air, uh, Matthew 24, let's pick it up with verse 27. Matthew 24, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Notice the terminology. This is the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. There will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Uh, going back to this angel that John saw standing in the sun, I wonder if the tribulation judgments have so affected the sun, as Jesus spoke of here, the sun being darkened. Um, maybe that's another reason why John was able to see this angel standing in the sun, because the sun is not as bright then as it is today. I just thought I would throw that out. Um, 500 years before Christ spoke these words to his disciples there in Matthew chapter 24. Ezekiel spoke about this feast, this great supper of God and the fowls of the air. Go to Ezekiel chapter 39. Hopefully you held your place. Ezekiel 39, move down to verse 17. Ezekiel 39, verse 17. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice, that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice, which I will sacrifice for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. This ties right in, if you will, flip back to Revelation 19 and verse 18. This ties right in with what John says here. Revelation 19, verse 18. Revelation 19, verse 18 says, That you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So it makes no difference 
what one's position is, how great they may seem to be, the judgment is going to be the same. Sin will be judged. Someone has said that the buzzard population is on the increase. There may be some truth to that. God may already be preparing for the battle of Armageddon by the increase of the foul buzzard population. All right, Revelation 19 and verse 19. And I saw the beast, that's talking about the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies. That will include every country that the Antichrist has conquered or either uh, the countries that have willingly sided with him. In this group of people, this army of the Antichrist, it will include possibly Eastern Europe, Russia, China, Japan, India, Vietnam, and many other countries in that part of the world that will probably be in this army. They have gathered together, the latter part of verse 19, they have gathered together to make war against him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now, the Antichrist and his army is out to destroy Israel at this point in time. But the Bible says here they have made war against him that is riding on the white horse. They've made war against the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what God is saying is when you set your face against my people, you have set your face against me. When you've picked a war with my people, you have picked a war with me. And God's not going to put up with it. He told Israel a long time ago, told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And that has not changed. And God looks out for his children, too. You want to get somebody riled up, you start talking about their youngins and their children. And you, you, you can have a fight on your hands pretty quick. And uh, God is jealous over his children. And Jesus said it's better for a millstone to be tied about your neck and cast into the sea than to offend one of his little ones. So the Lord takes it very seriously. And the Antichrist is coming against Israel, but he's actually coming against the Lord Jesus Christ and his army. And you and I are going to be in that army. Not only will the Lord be riding a white horse, but you and I are going to be riding white horses as well. We're not really going to do anything. Uh, the Lord's going to tread this wine press alone. He's going to do all the fighting. He's going to speak the word and take care of it. We're just going to be pretty much sitting back, taking it all in. And Of course, if he tells us to do something, I'm going to be right there. At any rate... Verse 20, Revelation 19 and verse 20. And the beast was taken, 
and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. The Antichrist and the false prophet's going to be killed at the Battle of Armageddon. Now, the false prophet was able to perform miracles. So what happened? Where are all of his miracles at the Battle of Armageddon? His miracles are no, are no match up against that of which the Lord Jesus Christ will do at the Battle of Armageddon. It is through and by these miracles, if you'll look at the latter part of verse 20, which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. The miracles that the false prophet did were to get people to receive the mark of the beast and to worship the image of the Antichrist. And these people were deceived. Deception is Satan's greatest weapon. He deceives the world out here into believing that there is no God. And if there is a God, well, our good deeds will outweigh our bad. Or any religion will do. Christianity is put down because we claim that Christianity is the only way to heaven. And it is the only way to heaven. But much of this world believes that any religion will get you to heaven. And even in Christianity today, there was a poll taken back in uh, 2008. 35,000 Americans across different denominations were surveyed by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. 57% of those that were surveyed believed that other religions could lead to eternal life. Think of that. Out of 35,000 people across different denominations that were surveyed, 57% believe that other religions can get you to heaven. I got news for you. There is only one way. You know, Jesus said, there is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Your good works won't do it. Buddha won't do it. Muhammad won't do it or anything else that man tries to come up with. It is a false way that God cannot accept and will not accept. Billions are in hell right now because of Satan's greatest weapon, which is deception. They have believed a lie, and because they have believed a lie, they are damned. Satan even deceives Christians by getting them to move their faith from the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to something else. The big thing making the rounds nowadays is, you know, the cross of Christ and all that stuff. That's good, but that's elementary. You need to go beyond that. You know, you need to build your faith and learn about healing and gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, all of these things are good things. But when you leave the foundation of Christ and what he did there, you have nothing to stand on. Everything that we have... You know, no matter what it is, 
It's all made possible through and by what Jesus did at Calvary. And I do mean everything. The problem with a lot of Christians that just come into the kingdom, sooner or later, you fail the Lord. Now, I know most of you here have never failed the Lord since you got saved, but sooner or later, you're going to fail the Lord. Sin is something that's going to come along and bite you. And you're shaken by it, and you don't understand why. You thought, you know, now that I'm saved, now that I've joined the church, I've been baptized, and, you know, I've been reading my Bible and everything, and then, you know, sin comes along, and you have a particular problem. And sin covers a wide territory. People are shaken by that, and they don't understand why they've sinned, and they don't want to sin, but this thing keeps reoccurring in their life. And they begin to read the Bible a little bit more, or they begin to pray a little bit longer. They're in church every time the church door is open. They begin to fast once a week or twice a week. They begin to do all these things, feeding the hungry. I can go on and on and on with good things that you as a child of God should do. Yes, you should read the Word. Yes, you should pray to the Lord. Yes, you need to be here as often as you can when that door is open back there. Yes, you need to pay your tithe. Yes, we all need to fast a little bit. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But... Understand that your victory over sin is not in the doing of those things. Your victory over sin is at Calvary. What Jesus did there, Jesus paid it all. Now these things will help in your growth, help you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And if you're a Christian, you will do those things. But the doing of those things is not going to keep you from sin. It's keeping your faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary. But Satan uses other things. If he can get your faith to shift to other things, you've got some serious problems because the Holy Spirit will only work in our lives as we keep our faith maintained in his finished work. If our faith shifts to something else, and it makes no difference what that other thing might be, and it's good in its own right. I don't care if you're reading 15, 20 chapters in the Bible a day. If your faith is in the doing of that, the Holy Spirit cannot help you in that area of overcoming sin. And Satan has deceived a lot of Christians today. And uh, the Antichrist and the false prophet were deceived. Here's their end, if you will, look at verse 20. Revelation 19, latter part of verse 20. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. They died physically at the battle of Armageddon, but their soul and spirit is still alive. And they were cast into the lake of fire. And I want you to catch this. Flip over to Revelation 20 and verse 10. Hell is forever. A thousand years later, Revelation 20 and verse 10. 
And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They are still alive in this lake of fire a thousand years later. The soul and the spirit is indestructible. You are an eternal being. A million years from tonight, you will still be alive. Your body will not, but your soul and your spirit will still be alive. You're going to live forever. The question is where? Where you spend eternity. And you don't want the lake of fire. We're talking about a lake of fire, drowning in a lake of fire. They're still there and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever is what the Bible says. All right, go back to Revelation 19 and verse 21. Revelation 19, verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The Lord is not dependent on machinery. Like I said, he's going to speak the word, and and it makes no difference how powerful the air force of the Antichrist is. I don't care how fast those planes are and how much tonnage, TNT, bombs they've got on those planes. When a hundred pound hailstone hits that thing, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> I mean, when the Lord speaks them hailstones into existence, and it, I mean, it's going to wipe out the Antichrist uh, airstrike and his attacks and whatever case. So that's going to be gone. Same thing with this military on the ground. Tanks, those hailstones. I mean, the, the, the armies of the Antichrist is literally going to be beat to death. The blood from this battle, from the dead bodies, is going to be six foot deep and flow for over 200 miles, the Bible says, up to the horse's bridles. And the fowls were filled with their flesh. The Antichrist vowed the destruction of Israel. But now we see the fowls and the buzzards gorging on their flesh. But it's not over with yet. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed for a little season. The devil's going to get what's coming to him. The Bible doesn't say this, but, I, but Brother James is going to have him a chair sitting there with a bag of popcorn, and I'm going to see that angel come down with that chain binding that rascal up. I'm going to watch that movie. Front row seat. 
Someone may ask the question, well, can't Satan read these words in the Bible? Don't he know what the end will be? Yes, he can read it. He knows what the book says. The problem is he doesn't believe it because he has deceived himself and all of those that follow him are deceived as well. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com click on the donate tab all donations are safe and secure through paypal we look forward to hearing from you